bring in Joel Sherman right now. Uh, first guest of the day on FT Live. Joel, good to see you again. You Put can, the glasses back on. What do you mean? You well, let's go. Glasses? Well, I, I had them. I, I heard that they're glare. Oh, oh, geez. Oh, yeah, take them off. Never mind. Yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make both of us look good here. You <laughs> <laughs> look great, Joel. And just for everyone to know, and I'll, I'll plug this again at the end, but um, you can catch his pod with John Heyman, the show, available wherever you get your pods, and also, of course, all of his articles in the New York Post. Uh, Joel, great to see you. And yeah, let's just start here. I mean, you heard a little bit about what we just said about the sale, trade, and extension. Your thoughts on that move and what the Braves are doing? Amen on what AJ just said. I think in a land of uh, not decisive executives, Alex Anthopoulos wins off seasons often because he's decisive. He knows what he wants. He knows players. I think he's one of those guys who also who's very much which players do I like? Not which areas do I need to fill? I need a starter. Oh, who's available? He decides who he likes. I think they very much liked Aaron Nola. They learned early on that Nola, all things being equal, would go back to Philadelphia. And obviously, Philadelphia gave Nola a very good contract. And so that got off the boards. I think they were very interested in Dylan Cease. I think if you talk to executives in the sport, it's going to take three premium prospects to price Cease, at least currently. Prices from the White Sox. The Braves, after making the number of trades they've made over the years, you know, Olsen, um, uh, the, the catcher, uh, you know, more trades, they, they didn't want to give up more prospects. And in sale, they saw a guy who they think, can he start a playoff game? They're expecting to play in October. And if they could keep him healthy, I think they're not delusional. The chances of getting 30 starts, maybe even 25 starts from sale is not great. But can you get 10 or 12 at the beginning and 10 or 12 at the end into October and start them in three or four playoff games? If you do, they really like that about him. And, you know, all I've heard all offseason is gridlock, gridlock. It's tough to do things. Well, the Braves have made, I think, nine trades. They re-signed two relief pitchers of their own. They went out and made an aggressive move. For Ronaldo and Lopez, who they think could pitch in their rotation, at the least will pitch in their bullpen. They've done a lot. They went and got a left fielder in Kelnick, uh, who, you know, again, they see the upside of saying, hey, you don't have to be some magical force who we got for Edwin Diaz and hit third or fourth in our lineup, hit ninth and play left field. We have eight all-stars coming back pretty much on our team. Help us solve left field now and moving forward. I just, you know, I deal with a lot of executives in this sport. And the amount of gridlock is often about overthinking things. And I admire Alex Anthopoulos for being aggressive. Okay, Joel. So after the sale trade, who's the best team in the National League? Dodgers, Braves, Phillies? <laughs> so, you know, AJ, it's a, a good question because I asked this of executives the other day. I said, you know, we've gotten this all sports so much into gambling. I said, when we get the first group of over-unders from Vegas or FanDuel or wherever you – BetMGM, BetMGM. BetMGM, I'll help your cause here, BetMGM. <laughs> uh, uh, I suspect that the, the Braves might still have the highest over-under on the betting market, uh, you know, which would be reflective of people who obviously, you know, uh, you know houses, bookies who want to make money – uh, I think it's going to be fascinating what the number is. My suspicion is both the Dodgers and Braves will be up over 95, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if the Braves are over that. There is some mystery with the Dodgers as far as rotation. Now, 
they had a lot of this mystery last year. You know, they essentially lost their five starters at some point and still won 100 games. So I always think they'll figure it out. But how much can Bueller give them? How much can Glass now give them over a long season? How much can Yamamoto give them? Is, do they have to find a sixth starter to be able to get the most out of Yamamoto uh, over the long season? Obviously, Otani's not pitching. You know, what does Miller look like over a full season? Again, the Dodgers, like the Braves, are a tremendous organization. I, I, I assume they'll figure this out, but we have exalted them to super team, understandably, because of what they did with uh, Yamamoto and especially Otani. But there is some fragility there in the rotation. Also, by the way, with the Braves, but two strong organizations, and I always think strong organizations figure it out. And, and by the way, you threw the Phillies in there. I don't think the Phillies are done. I think the Phillies have another move in them that is probably going to make us go, wow, the Phillies did that before we're all said and done. Hey, and the Mets just made a move, too. Wanted to get your thoughts as that's the freshest signing here in the hot stove. So Harrison Bader goes to New York to play some center field, maybe move Nimmo over. One year, 10.5 mil, same as what Kevin Kiermeyer thought. Do you like this move for the David Stearns-led Mets now? So, you know, the whole thing with Harrison Bader is – can he stay healthy? Because probably at this time last year, coming off of a, even with the injury and the good postseason, uh, Scott, I think we would have guesstimated that this is a player who was going to get three years at 45 or four years at 60 in a free agent contract. And he had problems staying healthy. He did not perform well on the field. Uh, he remains an elite center fielder. To your point, it allows them Buck Walter was, as you know, experimenting with it last year, trying to put less wear and tear on Nimmo and move him to a corner. And, you know, look, Harrison Bader is a better center fielder defensively than Nimmo, who's done a lot of work to become good at it. But still, Bader is better. Uh, David Stearns promised one of the things he wanted uh, going into 2024 was an improved defense. He would get that with Bader. This is a little bit of Starling Marte insurance also, right, just in case Marte doesn't come back. You know, the fact that Nimmo will go to a corner and instead of being down kind of two starting outfielders, if you see Bader as a starting outfielder, you're not down two starting outfielders. You know, the one-year contract is, I kind of generally fall into, there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract because you're out of it pretty quickly, even if it goes wrong. My only issue ever with Harrison Bader, and I think, you know, I think he's not afraid of New York or anything. He's He's from the area is sometimes he plays a little bit with his hair on fire, and I feel like he's smart enough, especially baseball-wise, to know better. But there is some stuff where you watch it every day, and you're like, it's a little like Labor Torres, right? You watch it every day, and you just say, you know, there's a little more style than substance there, and I know you're a good enough player to make it totally substance and make it, you know, better tactically and technically than this, you know, or does is it just the way that Harrison Bader has to play to be Harrison Bader? But that's that was my feeling watching him every day was sometimes he gets himself into trouble by trying to be a little more than he is. Joe, I want to know, what's the assessment of the Cohen era? He comes in swinging it. I'm the big I'm the big boss on the on the on the block. What's the assessment of of, of his era? Because Missing yeah. out on Yamamoto, philosophies changed there. Like they, it's no one wants to go to the Mets. They did. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Yamamoto, all things being equal, ended up where he wanted. And I think once the bidding got over three hundred million, he was going to go to where he wanted. 
uh, as opposed to who maybe gave him the last penny. I have a feeling if he went back to the Mets and told them, hey, it's got to be 350, I think Cohn would have done that. Uh, the Mets do have to deal with their image uh, uh, over the long haul. But I also think that generally players will go where they get the most money. I think Cohn is willing to do that. I know I've seen a lot of social media where it's suddenly like Cohn's being called cheap, which feels incredible to me. He was willing to spend about $500 million with the luxury tax <laughs> included last year to try to win. And then when they didn't think they were good enough, he ate more money than anybody in the history of baseball to try to buy prospects by trading the Scherzers and the Verlanders. They're going to have a ton of dead money on their luxury tax uh, again this year uh, because of those guys and James McCann and a few others. And so I, I just don't understand. Like, if you want to say he's a bad owner, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's one thing. But like this idea that he's not willing to spend, especially if you have any kind of concept of what he's been willing to spend off the field in technology and human capital to work there. I just feel like money is no longer an issue in New York. This was a guy, hey, I've been around, you know, Scott Braun's been around New York a long time. I've certainly been around New York a long time. There was never a time where you thought the Mets would outbid the Yankees when the Wilpons owned the team. The Mets just outbid the Yankees on Yamamoto. They just didn't get them. So that brings me to my question. Starting today, Joel, who has a better outlook? If you want to be a fan, who's going to have a better life being a fan of the Yankees or the Mets? Yeah, I'm a big track record guy, uh, Eric. So I'm always like, the Yankees, have, I, I know last year was, in Brian Cashman's word, a disaster. Uh, I, I wonder where the White Sox would sign up for an 82-80 and 80 disaster, for example. <laughs> um, so uh, it wasn't a good season as far as the Yankees concerned, but they really haven't had a bad season in uh, three decades. Uh, they kind of have, like, the institutional understanding of how to put together a team to win. Uh, until that's disproven, uh, I would stick with the idea that the will figure out a way to be good but like like Rome nothing lasts forever at some point it will probably come crumbling down uh, as we see they are very beholden to Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge uh, like, like if those guys are you know hurt miss any significant time the Yankees become a different team maybe the offense survives a little better with that with Juan Soto there this year um, I do if you're asking I, I know this wasn't your question Eric but if you're asking me who I might find more fascinating to cover over the next five to 10 years, I find the Mets more fascinating to cover because I am curious if Cohn can change the perception and trajectory of this team because understand what the history is of this team. They've been around for over six decades. They've never made the playoffs in more than two years straight. They've only won division titles once in the same decade. Forget about in back-to-back -back years. In 1986 and 88, they won the division. That's the only decade they've ever finished first in the same year, right? Right in the same decade. So this is not an, a, a franchise that has had consistent success. They had some in the late 80s. It was before the wild card, or otherwise they would have made a few more playoffs. So I am curious. Steve Cohn's goal was to become the East Coast Dodgers, which is a team that makes the playoffs every year and has a chance to win the championship. And I do find it fascinating against their history, which is filled with a lot of problems both on and off the field, if Cone, money, and tactics changes that navigation. Adam, you're on mute, dude. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to keep it with the Yankees. Um, yeah. I got my kids as well. 
Um, <laughs> but since they missed out on Yamamoto, what's their other options? Obviously, money's no option. We know that. But Snell um, coming off, obviously, a Cy Young, Montgomery, a reunion. Uh, what's their options? And why aren't moves being made? I know it's not my money. Yeah, I think moves aren't being made because, like, the two big guys who needed to be taken off of the marketplace for timing reasons, Yamamoto because there was a posting period, and Otani because he wanted to get it done, got it done. I quite frankly think that the rest of this market is the best players are players that give you pause, right? Cody Bellinger. On one hand, you're like, wow, that guy had a great season in uh, 2023. 12 months prior to now, arguably the best run organization in baseball didn't tender him a contract in the Dodgers, and he was coming off for two or three bad ones. Which one do I get? Blake Snell was the Cy Young winner in 2018 and 2023. In between, he's worth a combined 5.9 war over a four-year period. That's less than he had in the two Cy Young seasons alone. And so which guy am I getting? Jordan Montgomery left the Yankees and became something more refined, uh, something better, something proven in the postseason. Do you buy it? Is he is he really now a, a, like a, a high-end two? Or is he really still just a three or a four who has had a good run? I think all of these people who are incredibly talented are expecting money based on their high-end projection, and organizations are standing there and saying, well, is Blake Snell really better than Robbie Ray? Like, why is he better than Robbie Ray? Is it clear? Is it clear to you? Like, I had an executive today say something interesting. If you had to gamble your money and say over the next five years, who would have more, like, pitching war, Montgomery or Snell, which way would you go? Now, Snell has won two Cy Young Awards. That's high, high. But the consistent guy, and maybe the guy you'd bet on personality-wise, is Montgomery. So I think, you know, you have both things there. And so I think that's what's locking up the market. And it's going to take uh, a desperate team. And, you know, we have a few. I think the Cubs are desperate. I think the Giants are desperate. To just say, I want to make sure I get out of this organ or this offseason with somebody or some bodies and jump hard in on a Snell or a Chapman or a Bellinger, et cetera. Okay. And even Mine's still out there also. Yeah, haters. Haters out there too. But haters, the one guy that's not part of this list. What are the combined things of this, this list I'm about to tell you? And who is the best available? I don't care. Pitcher, team, whatever. Who is the they're best all, available? They're all, they're all going to be represented by Scott Boris, right? That's there you the go. Way. So like all I moved that. to the lightning round, $25,000 pyramid. I should just be on it, man. You should be on. Next question. <laughs> who is the best out of that uh, list? So that's, that's a good question. I, I obviously covered uh, Jordan Montgomery a lot in New York, and I was on the Rangers for both the ALCS and the World Series. Um, I believe in Jordan Montgomery, the person, the competitor, like, like, I believe in that guy. And I feel like the floor, if you, if you see even buy him as a high-end two, I think the worst you're going to end up with is a low-end three. He's going to figure out a way to take the ball. He's going to compete hard. And now he has some self-confidence built up that he could succeed at the, at the highest levels, at the biggest moment. I like the guy, right? And so 
I, I always, it's, it's what I said before about the Braves, that I think the Braves always start with the guy as opposed to the need. Because I think when you just talk about your need, you can make bad decisions. I think the Yankees did it last year with Carlos Rodon. Hey, we our need is we need to figure out ways to beat the Astros in October. Who's the kind of guy who can do that? Oh, maybe Rodon's stuff can do that. Do we like Carlos Rodon? Well, we're filling a need. And I think they made a mistake because of that. So I, I like the guy in Montgomery. And, and look, I understand all the peripheral stuff on Bellinger. Uh, you know, hard hit stuff and, uh, you know, ground ball, except all of it. Got it. Understand it. But at the least, you're getting a great athlete who's great on defense at two positions. You're getting a great base runner. He has played in the biggest games and not blinked playing in the biggest games. It's a gamble again on a guy. But if you're asking me who I might gamble on, those are two guys I, I would feel more comfortable than less comfortable with. All right, so we're going to go to the Yankees trade now. Did the Red Sox get rid of Verdugo, or did the Yankees upgrade? Yeah, you know, Eric, you're, you, you maybe want to come for my job. These are good questions. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so Ver, Ver, Verdugo, look, I, I, I think it's a very negative thing what happened on that conference call with Verdugo, where he talked about the idea that he's going to feel like he's backed by a manager. He will. Aaron Boone would, I think, sooner sell his house than talk negatively about a player publicly. Um, so I think he'll have that. But let's not forget, Alex Cora is benching Verdugo. Not You know, managers, I always think they're, they're just trying to win. They're going to do what they think is best. Verdugo was one of his better players. He's he's benching him because he's showing up late or he's not hustling. You know, where where's your mirror? Where is your ability to take accountability? So I always worry I'm, i am big about makeup um i think i've seen a lot of successful yankee teams over the last 30 years and a lot of not successful met teams over the last 30 years and someplace baked into both the success and the failure to me has been culture character whatever you want to call it and um yeah i i i i, I have some real questions the yankees decided they like the player and I wonder if they're going to be sitting in about June going, what, what did we do here? Here's another big question is who in the hell plays in the outfield? I mean, I mean, where does, I should say, where Soto's got to play judge got to play Verdugo. Does he have to play every day? I mean, you got, you don't have a true center fielder putting judge out there is he's only getting older and he's a big man. That's just, he's good out there, but 162 game good. Uh, so what's their defensive alignment even look like? Or, I mean, I, I was thinking they would go get a KK or somebody, a young uh, defensive-minded first center fielder. Yeah, well, let's not forget they did get Trent Grisham in the uh, trade with Soto, and Grisham is one of the better defensive center fielders in the sport. And my suspicion, yeah, the bat isn't very good. I understand <laughs> that. Uh, but my, 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 my suspicion, again, I'm good on the $25,000 pyramid, Adam. Uh, I, I, I get the clues. <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, I'll say this is, I don't think you mentioned, did you mention Stanton's name? John Carlos Stanton, right? Is, right. is he going to stay healthy? If he doesn't, Soto, I assume is going to get a ton of DH time and the Yankees will try to play defense. You know, Verdugo with whatever I said about him is, is a very good outfielder. Judge is an exceptional right fielder and Grisham is very, very good in center. And I think that they could live with that and back Grisham ninth, 
hope that, you know, like they know it's going to be a 200 average probably, but like in Yankee Stadium, does he pop a couple more homers? So the question to me is, I think that's their best defensive alignment. Does Stanton stay healthy enough to force Boone's hand to have to make tough decisions in the outfield every day? And then the question is, even if he stays healthy, if he performs like last year, which was not good, does he ultimately, uh, does Boone ultimately do what I think it would be very hard for Aaron Boone to do, which is to say, there is a lot of pressure on everyone here. You know, my contract's up at the end of the year. Brian Cashman's on the griddle. You know, the Yankees aren't what the Yankees used to be. Giancarlo, I understand your pedigree. I understand your salary, but you're no longer a starter. I feel like Stanton should have to, like, earn his meal now uh, and prove that he deserves to be in the lineup every day. He's certainly an historically special player, but he was not that guy last year. He has really not been that guy the last few years. So the Yankees can't just say we're putting the name and the salary out there. They have to do a lot of winning in 2024. Joel, from Yankees present to Yankees past, Hall of Fame voting. You've already turned in your ballot, I'm guessing, right? Because then they already have to be in by the end of the year yes. or something. I've seen your votes the last three years. We have a guy coming up on our show, played for the Yankees, Gary Sheffield. He's in his 10th year of voting. You have not voted for him in the past. Why the fuck not? Can I uh, – AJ, I never run away from a question. I don't reveal <laughs> my ballot until the day of. And I didn't ask you this year if you voted wait, for him. Wait, wait, I just wait, asked wait. why you didn't vote in the past. And perhaps you'll be surprised who's on my ballot this year. Okay. Okay. I promise, there's, you know, I promise I will answer this question on your show. Okay, that's fine. Wait until the uh, – I feel like too many people give away this vote and everybody knows the result beforehand through all the tracker stuff. I just want to – it's my history. Scott would know from the network. I never gave the network yeah. my ballot until the day of – I think everyone, all of us should have to, A, make our public uh, ballots public, and B, explain our ballot, which I do both on the air and in a column every year. And I promise I'll add another place. I will come on your show and explain my ballot. I'm happy to do it. I just feel I do not want to make my ballot public beforehand, and you might be surprised who's on my ballot this year. Oh, okay. I understand. Okay, then can I rephrase the question? As you know, as you reporters always like to do, you like to ask the same question and keep trying to turn the words a little bit until we answer it. Why have you not? Why have you not voted it's, for him? It's, in the, it's the, the and I'm the not answer. saying you did, but but in the past you have Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, Ortiz, Schilling. So those are guys that were linked. And the and the thing for Chef has always been the steroid thing. I'm going to be like a good player and escape the question again. But unlike say no a good comment, player, no comment. Uh, 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 unlike a good player, promise, promise you, AJ, that I will answer your question. Okay, Joel. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think guess. that's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. You got a grill, you know, the reporters, you know, Adam Kratz, you know, they never really come to Kratz, but you know, Adam, reporter would ask you a question and say, so why'd you drop the fly ball? I don't want to talk about it. So, was the sun in your eyes today? I don't want to talk about it. No, but you had sunglasses on. I don't understand how you could drop the ball. You know, AJ, I'll, I'll take, I, I will say this is, I think if you do what I do, which is write a column, which is opinion, it means that you should be responsible if anyone asks you a question, what's in the column. Like, in other words, if okay. I'm going to ask you hard questions, I think it's fine for people to ask me hard questions, what's in it. And I promise I am not running away from that hard question. 
I okay. just feel like I don't want to break my policy, which is discuss the ballot before the day of the, the announcement. Nothing but respect for you, Joel. Nothing but respect. Right. Really do. But why don't why don't some guys reveal it? Like, what's the point of having a, a, a being a life altering vote and just be and just not? Yeah, I think everyone. Like, what's the whole feel, point of that? I think the pains of social media are such that uh, some people don't want to deal with uh, the ramifications and wrath of what happens on social media. Uh, I think. To that extent, again, I might be different than other voters, Adams. If you can't take the heat, don't vote. But there you know, are writers. I mean, you mean to, your, gonna... to your point, you are deciding immortality or not for people, mm-hmm. and you should be responsible enough to make public your reasons for doing or not doing things. True. Hey, I'll, I'll finish with this, Joel. I like that answer. If, if you spoke to players over the years and you wanted to get a bit of information and they said, hey, I'll tell you on Friday or whatever, you would have said, great, I won't ask you shit about it until then. You know, it's like Tim Anderson, tell me about the fight with Jose Ramirez. Hey, I'll tell you in a week. Okay, cool. No one would ask you shit. Can I tell you, the, and I actually have to run because I see my phone yeah. lighting up for something here. I hope I'm not missing anything, but I'll just tell you this. is No, you're good. It's not the same exact thing, but I most reporters didn't love to deal with Bernie Williams, who was a lovely guy, but like, he was in Bernie world all the time. He was a very thoughtful guy. And Bernie very often, I would ask Bernie a question and he'd look at me and he'd go, that's a good question. Can I think about it? And like most of the time I would think, oh, that's an escape hatch. But I can't tell you how many times Bernie would say, I think about it. And then I'd feel like a tap at like the batting cage and be Bernie and go, I have an answer now. And uh, he was one of my favorite guys because of that to deal with. He was a little different and tough, tougher because of that. Not, again, a lovely guy, but he never gave a cliche. He actually asked a question, and he really thought a lot about it, and he'd come up to me. It might be a, two days later when it wasn't really useful anymore, but he'd have a hell of an answer, and I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of love dealing with Bernie because of it. I like that. All right. You got to break the news. Quick read yeah. your phone. Put your glasses yes. on. You got to break the news on here so we, <laughs> we get I'm done with the $25,000 pyramid. You're off. You're off. Thank you, Joel. We'll talk to you after Hall of Fame. Be good, guys. Cheers. You too. Joel Sherman, you can listen to his show, The Show, with John Amon. You can check out his work on Twitter at Joel Sherman one and uh, in the New York Post. So he's all over the place. And we already have one day guaranteed. There you go, Mark. One guest already guaranteed mm-hmm. on the calendar to come For back. Hall of Fame Day. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what he's going to talk about it? Mark's like, oh, just one out of three guests that we get for the next 310 days of the year. One out of the billion guests that we schedule over a year period. 